0: All right. Let's take you live to Capital One Arena, where Michael Winger and Will Dawkins are addressing the media on the removal of Wes Sunsell Jr. as their head coach. That was
1: really the patience piece. There was no sense of urgency right now. Nothing, nothing really occurred. Um, Will and I met with Wes often, and we talk. You know, we talk basketball a lot. We talk about the team. We talk about the competitiveness of the team. Player accountability, joy, um, our principles, and it just—it it sort of became clear, clearer um, that there was just this this sustained mm, something less than our most competitive selves, and it, it was—it just you just kept feeling it and seeing it, and Wes did too. I mean, he 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 saw it, he knew it, he felt it, and he gave it everything he had. Um, You know, the team that he inherited from from us this season is significantly different than the teams he had the last couple of years. The job he took two years ago was different than the one he had this year. And, I mean, he left it all out there, in my opinion. And the timing, it it just didn't register. I don't want to say it didn't register. It it was not part of the calculus of where we were in the season, the number of games remaining, back-to-back. It was just, you know, we had a conversation last night, which we do, often, and it was just one of those where it's like, man, like, how are we going to get better? How are we going to sort of ratchet up the dial on competitiveness? And we came to the conclusion that the fellas just need to hear a new voice. And that was irrespective of the timing. Uh, The kind of marching orders you guys both... expressed was it was going this season was going to be about really individual improvement and and getting better because you knew that the record was not going to necessarily be a winning record but you could find value in guys getting better it a lot of guys have gotten better Um, and so I wonder how you kind of weigh that against the lack or the lack of consistent competitiveness that you saw because individually player a player B player C are getting better are being more consistent in their output but it's obviously not leading to wins well we needed both um, we needed the individual improvement and you're absolutely right a lot of our players if not all of our players have gotten better um, all credit goes well, i don't say all credit but the credit for that is split among a small group of people particularly the athletes themselves wes our coaching staff our player development team and then Will and the player development group. Um, but yes, our players are individually getting better. It is a team game. And so our basketball team has to get better. They have to play competitive team basketball. Um, to your point about wins and losses, um, you know, we talk internally a lot about we can tolerate uh, losing a game in which we were competitive for 48 minutes. Uh, we can tolerate losing a basketball game where we see the team improving as a collective. In the absence of 48 minutes of competitiveness, in the absence of um, collective team basketball progress over the course of time, irrespective of the individual improvement, we have an issue to address. And that's sort of how that conversation unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Um.
2: Before I kind of answer that, I think I need to at least address how um, thankful I am for Wes as well. When it's your first time in this role in a new city, a new environment, and you have someone like Wes and his contributions, um, you're you're really grateful for that. And I I am. um, His collaboration is up there with any head coach I've worked with, and I think he takes some great pride in the player development program that you mentioned. When you are at the forefront of what we're trying to do and you build those first bricks and you put those down and eventually years down the line, you see what those become, uh, you take pride in that. Um, And we have a lot of pride in knowing that he's still gonna be working with us in the front office, uh, identifying those things and helping us get to where we wanna go. But it is a a team sport. It's not golf, it's not tennis, it's not become great individuals. And there's things stylistically that we wanna see on the court. Specifically, we we know our energy wasn't always there, we know our competitiveness was not always there, and defensively, there were nights that were unacceptable, and those are things that we want to continue to work on. And we think that a fresh voice right here, right now, is what we need, and also for the betterment of the future. And we're intentional, we're deliberate. These conversations are never easy. No one likes to have them. Um, no one likes to have days like this. But we talked about it, and we feel it's what's best for the organization. And The plan is still the plan to move forward with that this is for both of you what is reasonable in terms of the amount and type of improvement you expect from now until the the end of the season what's your reasonable expectation yeah I think I'll take it back to the first day we got here We, we talked about walking in and assessing where we're at we're gonna assess we're gonna evaluate everything we do and with that we've set metrics and measures throughout the year a lot of those things are internal some things have been hit, some things have not. Those are gonna continue to be those main things and drivers for us. Our players are aware of them. We've met with them. Uh, there'll be an a influx in accountability and owning that we all are our record right now and we all need to be better. And I think you'll see that show up in a, in a spirit and in a way you compete that'll handle some of those internal metrics. Question for Will. Um, Brian Keefe, what does he bring and what do you hope to see from the team with him in charge? Yeah, I would say with Brian, it was a natural shift. Wes hired a really good staff, and he hired Brian this summer to be his lead assistant. It's a natural shift to slide over um, into that chair. Obviously, I was familiar with Brian before I got here, so I know some of his strengths as a player development coach individually. I think he'll be able to kind of tie some of those things you see with the player development but also enforce those on the court, become a – more defensive-minded team. I know he was in charge of the defense at a few different places. So I think you'll see have a more defensive mindset. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it's the strength of our staff. I think Brian will unlock the group that we have around him. Mike Miller will move from behind the bench um, and fill the spot vacant on the front of the bench for assistant coaches. So I have a lot of years of expertise with Mike Miller, David Vanderpool, Joseph Blair to help support. And guys behind the bench that can rally and pump more juice into the building and we really challenge them to experiment and try new things this is a season of discovery for the Wizards right now we want to try stylistically new things to do defensively new ways to play offensively and the goal is you stumble on something that two three four years down the line is changing the way basketball is played and with that mindset that optimism we think we have the experience in the coaching room to make sure we can do that Thank you, guys.
1: Uh, how long has this decision or this process been stewing? We talk all the time. I, I, it, I mean, there's been no stew. Um, we talk to Wes, with Wes, with the staff, the players, I mean, all the time. It, it's just, we're a very collaborative group. And I don't mean Will and I as the group, I mean, all of us as the group. And we talk about it a lot. You know, Wes has raised concerns uh, over the last many weeks. We've raised concerns, and those concerns have just, like they all have the common thread of competitiveness, um, accountability, and joy. And so, I mean, I I, I can't reflect back on a date when, you know, our conversations shifted from, you know, rotations to competitiveness or, you know, which hotels are we going to stay in to competitiveness. Like, I, I don't remember when those conversations shifted, but... You know, we've been addressing the competitiveness piece for a while. And sort of taking it back to Josh's question, um, you know, what are we looking for the remainder of the season? Uh, a lot of it's not measurable. It's, it is it is hard to measure competitiveness. It is hard to measure watching the fellas play with, with joy and intent. Um, those are difficult to measure. There is sort of a um, like a visceral... Response to a competitive basketball game and a different visceral response to an uncompetitive basketball game. And I think that it's the fewer of those types of responses we have to an uncompetitive basketball game, that might be a measure. Um, but I mean, from a timing perspective, we're always evaluating every single facet of the organization that we're responsible for. And so I mean, day one, I guess, or two weeks ago. Like, I, I just don't know the date. Yeah, I would think, I would just say to follow up on that.
2: Um, everything we've talked about when we talked about coming in and assessing where we're out and evaluating, it, we're evaluating the process, not necessarily outcomes of how things happen. And when you have those conversations every single day, you can see when they're starting to fray or not necessarily adding up. And. <coughs> Our dialogue with our players our dialogue with our staff um, head coach front office like it's it's pretty strong here and that's the culture that Michael wanted when we got here and I think when you have honest conversations you reflect and sit down and you can realize that where's the process going how do we get it back on track we have almost half the season left. I think there's 39 games starting with tonight. That's a lot of time to impact change and give us momentum into the next season. So we don't take that for granted. But we also were intentional and didn't want to rush a decision. We wanted to really give Wes a chance and get to this point, and that's where we're at. Last question to Josh. If you're evaluating evaluating competitiveness and and, uh, spirit, uh, how much of the responsibility for – that not measuring up so far is on the players. Doesn't, doesn't, don't a those- lot.
1: And they know it, Josh. I mean, these are conversations we have with them. Um, they know it. We, we've, we met with them today. Um, there's not a single player in that locker room happy with this outcome. Um, they, every single one of them raised their hand as, you know, when the question was asked, "Who in this room is it? Who, who in this room is responsible for this? Every single player raised their hand. Um, they know it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: All right. That is Michael Winger and Will Dawkins with a pretty transparent, uh, in, in my opinion, and pretty straightforward press conference about the failures that lead to them making a change with Wes Unsell, but all those failures certainly not on Wes unselled A lot to react to and digest there. Uh, we will do that with you next on the phones, 301-230-0980. You just heard the men in charge. I've certainly got some thoughts. So do you, 301-230-0980. Your calls next. What's up? What's happening? It is the Hoffman Show. If you are just joining us you missed a lot already. The good news is we got a podcast for that. The Hoffman Show podcast will have our full coverage of the big breaking news that Will Dawkins and Michael Winger ultimately decided that Wes Unsell Jr. is no longer the right man to lead the Washington Wizards. That happened, I presume, late night last night. They announced it around 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, I kind of rolled over in bed, checked the email, and you're like, whoa, that's not what I expected to wake up to, especially – on the night where there's a back-to-back. Wizards have a game tonight. They had one last night, but it just became clear over the last couple of weeks as they had a series of conversations that, uh, as Michael Winger put it, the fellas needed to hear a new voice. Just moments ago, the press conference started with our friend Ava Wallace, who also joined us earlier in the show. If you missed that, very worth your time on the podcast uh, but Ava asked about the timing of this decision. And uh, we, since we picked up the press conference live about a minute late, just from when we broke and, and how radio works, I uh, wanted to let you hear that answer, as it was one of the most pressing questions that uh, we had going into why now. Uh, as, as so many other things at 7 and 36 are very obvious. But why now? Michael Winger with the answer.
1: As it relates to the timing piece, The calculus really didn't even include back-to-backs or what what game number we are at or anything like that it was a matter of um, inputs and outputs for us Um, we preached patience at the beginning of the year that was a function of uh, an eventual return to hyper-competitive basketball that was really the patience piece there was no sense of urgency right now nothing nothing really occurred Um, Will and I met with wes often and we talk you know we talk basketball a lot we talk about the team we talk about the competitiveness of the team player accountability joy um our principles and it just it it sort of became clear clearer um that there was just this this sustained mm, something less than our most competitive selves and it, it was it just he just kept feeling it and seeing it and west did too i mean he, he he saw it he knew it he felt it and he gave it everything he had um you know the team that he inherited from from us this season is significantly different than the teams he had the last couple of years the job he took two years ago was different than the one he had this year and i mean he left it all out there in my opinion and the timing I, it, it just didn't register i don't want to say it didn't register It was not part of the calculus, where we were in the season, the number of games remaining, back-to-back. It was just, you know, we had a conversation last night, which we do often, and it was just one of those where it's like, man, like, how are we going to get better? How are we going to sort of ratchet up the dial on competitiveness? And we came to the conclusion that the fellas just need to hear a new voice. And
0: that was irrespective of the timing. I mean... It's a grown-up decision. It's a grown-up way of going about this that I appreciate from Michael Winger and Will Dawkins and Wes Unsell. Like, Wes is no dummy. Let's be very clear about this. Wes Unsell did not do a good enough job to keep his job. He is also absolutely 100% no freaking dummy. He knew this year was going to be tough. I talked to Wes in the preseason, and I asked him, uh, basically, like, how are you going to do this defensively? And there was there was a chuckle. Like, he knew that the defensive personnel on this team was not good. He had no rim protector. He had bad people that were uh, in terms of guarding the ball. And if you want two things, it's people who protect the rim and people who are good on the ball. It's like literally how the Milwaukee Bucks have been one of the five or the five best defensive teams over the last five years is because Drew Holiday was on the ball and Giannis and Brooke Lopez were protect, protecting the rim. It almost didn't matter who anyone else on the team was your rotations, whatever, just everything becomes easier when you have good on-ball defense and a rim protector. And Daniel Gafford's done okay as a rim protector, but he's more of a shot blocker than a rim protector. He's someone that will make a spectacular singular play, maybe even two or three times a game, but is not consistently a threat to deter shots at the rim in the way that the other elite rim protectors, a la Rudy Gobert, is. And in terms of on the ball, like Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones are tiny guards. So when you're looking at the the on-ball defense, unless DeLon Wright's in the game, you're you're not doing very well out with your ball pressure or Koulibaly or some of these other guys that are pretty solid in that department, but you can never get enough guys on the floor at once to tie the string together. And so, Wes, a, a, and the other thing that I think is, is a great quote from this press conference is when Michael, or uh, sorry, Will Dawkins said, you know this is this is a season of discovery and the other big complaint about Wes Unseld is he just didn't change stuff up enough and i i don't know whether like in the discussions with Dawkins and Winger that were happening constantly that were referenced frequently in this press conference that is is the brain trust of the team got together was Wes like nah, i think i think we just keep, keep tinkering within what we're doing or like hey this is the way i do it if you guys want to do something else like we're going to have to we're going to have to go in a different direction. I don't know exactly how that goes down and maybe that gets reported over the next couple of days, but the way it's presented here by two guys that I think are pretty honest and I'll get to that in a moment as well is like it it felt like they wanted to start to see some stuff that was different. Wes still thought the way they were going about it was the best way and eventually it would turn And that disagreement was starting to cause a little bit of friction. And that friction was not necessarily even between Dawkins, Winger, and Wes. The the grown adults, if you will. The older men running the team. It was starting to cause friction in the locker room as well. As you heard in our interview with Ava Wallace earlier. That Kyle Kuzma all of a sudden was like, yeah, you know, sometimes just playing harder isn't the thing. Like, we need to change some stuff up. You know, you wonder if a guy like Bilal is like, what more do you want from me to start, bro? Like I'm I'm giving you the best defense on the team every single night. Like I'm playing hard, I'm hitting my threes at a rate that you guys didn't even think was possible until maybe my 4th year in the league and I'm doing it as a rookie and and like I should be starting. And plus, like this I'm I'm the future of the franchise. Why am I still off the bench? So there's there's things like that where you wonder if going into the season they had some plans Wes wasn't adapting fast enough for the players and ultimately for them. And that's why they look at now and go like, all right, we got, we got 39 games left. Let's, let's do some tinkering. And in order to tinker, they needed a different guy to, to be pulling the strings. And Brian Keefe, who comes from a development background and has been tremendous in Oklahoma city and tremendous in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I he was in Brooklyn the last couple of years I'm going to guess, I don't know this for sure, but I'd be pretty surprised considering how good Mikael Bridges is if he wasn't the guy working with Mikhail Bridges. He was working with Harden and Durant and Westbrook and all those guys back in the day in OKC. He was with Shea Gilgis-Alexander uh, as he started to just absolutely blossom in Oklahoma City to the point that, you know, as I say this out loud, the Wizards are going to embark on a head coaching search this offseason, but if some of these guys turn it on in the second half of the season – it seems like one of your top candidates should be right under your nose. We'll see. And I know no one will be happy if they go in-house because it feels like everything in-house with the Wizards stinks and has for since 1979. But if this dude's this good as a development coach and he can be your head coach too, that would seem like a pretty valuable guy to keep in your organization. So the other part of that, this is the players themselves. And I want to – get into this more on the phones next at 301-230-0980, what you guys heard from Dawkins and Winger there. I have, I can't think of a time. I won't say I never have heard because I don't want to be that definitive and declarative and have someone tweet me something in five seconds when we go to the commercial break of, of a time that they remember that I was sitting in the room for um, because I've been at a lot of these press conferences. But I cannot immediately recall a time when a coach got fired or there was a significant change and an executive was asked directly a great question by Josh Robbins of the Athletic how much of this is on the players and in a way that assigns blame declaratively not in a way that like says oh we're all responsible but in a way that directly answers the question michael winger like a big boy adult that he is simply goes a lot they know it. We talk to them. They don't feel good about this. We ask them, hey, who is responsible? And every single hand went up. And to have him go, and we'll play this clip for you as we're cutting all the audio bites up now. We'll play it for you next as we take some of your calls. To For him to go a lot tells you that they also think that this roster is underperforming. And they are hoping this coaching change is a kick in the pants. And While, yes, they know they're not talented by a competitive NBA standard, they should be way, way better than this. And that is a sentiment that I wholeheartedly agree with. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And we are taking your calls next. 301-230-0980. Our continuing coverage Of the big breaking news, the Washington Wizards have fired Wes Unsell Jr. as their head coach, and we're talking about it on your home for Wizards basketball, the Team 980. Your calls at 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. Wes Unsell Jr. out as the head coach of the Washington Wizards. We're talking about it with you here on the Hoffman Show, which, of course, not only is it live on your radio on the team 980 but streaming live on the Free Odyssey app and the podcast is always available at the end of every hour then at the end of the full show we podcast that as well you can listen to it uh, in your car bluetooth style um, Apple CarPlay, whatever it is, however you listen to your, you know, whatever it is you listen to in the car, other podcasts. Uh, we'll pretend like you don't, you don't have those. we you're clearly your favorite, the only thing you listen to. Um, you know, your your favorite music, all that. Hoffman um, Show Podcasts and, and all of our shows here at the Team 980 available to you uh, on demand on your time and also with your smart speaker at home. Just ask Alexa or Siri or whatever smart speaker you have to play the Team 980. Uh, We are streaming live on YouTube as well at the Team 980. All those places you can find our interview with Ava Wallace from earlier in the show, and, of course, the full press conference between uh, Michael Winger and Will Dawkins, who just spoke at Capital One Arena. Uh, Interim coach Brian Keefe just spoke as well, and, of course, uh, he'll speak to uh, Dave Johnson, who will join us because it is a Wizards game day after all coming up at 615 but I I thought uh, a couple more interesting things as we wait on some more calls again 301-230-0980 is the number Um, a couple of things that were interesting about this press conference from winger and Dawkins starting off on kind of how long this has been stewing um, like how long have they been thinking about this Michael winger on that decision
1: We talk all the time. I I mean, there's been no stew. Um, We talk to Wes, with Wes, with the staff, the players, I mean, all the time. It's just we're a very collaborative group, and I don't mean Will and I as the group. I mean all of us as the group, and we talk about it a lot. You know, Wes has raised concerns uh, over the last many weeks. We've raised concerns, and those concerns have just – like they all have the common thread of competitiveness, um, accountability, and joy. And so, I mean, I, I I can't reflect back on a date when, you know, our conversations shifted from, you know, rotations to competitiveness, or, you know, which hotels are we going to stay in to competitiveness. Like I, I don't remember when those conversations shifted, but, you know, we've been addressing the competitiveness piece for a while, and sort of taking it back to Josh's question. Um, you know, what are we looking for the remainder of the season? Uh, a lot of it's not measurable. It's, it, it is hard to measure competitiveness. It is hard to measure watching the fellas play with, with joy and intent. Um, those are difficult to measure. There is sort of a um, like a visceral response to a competitive basketball game and a different visceral response to an uncompetitive basketball game. And I think that it's the fewer of those types of responses we have to an uncompetitive basketball game, that might be a measure. Um, But, I mean, from a timing perspective, we're always evaluating every single facet of the organization that we're responsible for. And so, I mean, day one, I guess, or two weeks ago, I, I just don't know the date.
0: So that, you know. I think that characterization of the conversation is super interesting and it goes back to, I'll play this, I played it earlier in the show, but really, I mean, Wes Unseld Jr. laid this out in the preseason when he was with us. Um, He talked about uh, what needs to happen this year to be successful for the Washington Wizards. And there there were two categories that he touched on. And one was improvement, but the other was that word that Michael Winger kept bringing up. It was competitiveness. Um, here is that from our chat in the preseason.
1: You know, and that might not translate to wins, um, but you want teams to walk away from playing the Wizards and know that, you know what, we we had to play to beat this team. Uh, we have to compete at the highest level. Um, you want our guys to enjoy competing, you know, enjoy the, t- connect- the connectivity that it takes to be a really good team. Of course, you know, we'll have to find small measures. You know, I think we've, we've measured some things internally. But to, to see the day-to-day improvement, the week-to-week improvement, you know, the month-to-month improvement individually and collectively, I think we keep stacking those. We're, we'll be heading in the right direction.
0: And unfortunately, they didn't. It just it never changed. There were, there were things that changed this year. The Wizards lead the NBA in pace. That is a huge deal that they finally started playing like grown-up 2023 NBA, 2024 NBA basketball, uh, as opposed to being the slotting plot or plotting slow team that took a bunch of mid range jumpers. You know, Wes loved the the phrase I shouldn't say Wes loves it. Wes used the phrase, I loved it, shot diet. Their shot diet was a lot better this year. But ultimately it comes down to a competitiveness. And I think that when you look at when you, when you stop talking about rotations and kind of the plannedness and I think what it comes down to is the ability to react to within a game to understand who's got it going on any given night to understand, hey, this dude's dogging it on defense and we're trying to build habits. We're trying to build culture. You can't let that slide. I know we're trying to to get that guy minutes or maybe we talked about thing X, but you know, it's the ability to prioritize and it's hard. This is really hard. Because when you're in a game, you're thinking about a million different things, and it's hard to have this long view when you're just trying to get to the next timeout and the next quarter break and the next half and you know, win the game on any given night. But you had to approach this season in a way that prioritized certain things that maybe you would otherwise tolerate as a head coach, like bad habits, bad defense, not giving required effort when you're a star player that you kind of let slide in the NBA sometimes because it's worth it in the end. Your stars are managing themselves to be the best down the stretch, and it's still worth having them on the floor. But when you don't really have a guy and you are managing the habits of what you're trying to build and the culture that you're trying to establish – you got to have a quicker trigger sometimes. And I, and I think the other thing, too, with along those lines was the lack of consistency with that. There were times that guys were on the bench for a long time, and it never really felt like it had a rhyme or reason. There, were, there wasn't like a, hey, that dude got benched, or a, hey, that dude is performing poorly, so he is or isn't going to get benched. Sometimes it was, that guy's going to play through it. Sometimes it's like, nope, he's done for the night. And I think that is a really not only is it is it bad because it doesn't really give players clear incentives and and a clear like understanding of what's going to happen and both in the short and long term, but it becomes a a frayed environment where the stress levels are higher than they need to be for reasons that are completely within a control. And that's not a way you incubate talent. You don't you don't want people walking on eggshells. And it's not, you know, people aren't walking on eggshells because Wes is a bad dude and he's mean to people and he's yelling at everybody they walk on eggshells because they literally have no consistent expectations. If you want to develop people, and this is something that's going to become really important for the commanders as well. If you want to develop people, you have to give them clear expectations. You have to give them clear standards. And the front office does an excellent job of this with the, the advanced metrics and, and the analytics and the things that they provide, the under-the-hood metrics behind the scenes. But ultimately, the, the like the the main currency in the NBA is minutes. And if you just don't know if your performance is going to lead to you getting to play or not and when you're going to play and, and who you're going to be playing with, it's really hard to be consistent. And it's not an optimal way to develop talent. And in a year that's about developing talent, why would you operate that way? And I think that's a, a longer, slightly more in-depth version of the actual pretty in-depth and honest answers that Michael Winger and Will Dawkins gave at that press conference at the top of the hour. We'll let you hear a little bit more of it coming up at 6 o'clock. Next, though, we'll take our one NFL dip of the day, typically in this half-hour block. On Thursdays, Anthony and I have done our NFL tiers. We'll wrap up our tiers for the season next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll get back to the Wizards news of the day. Kind of recap the story as it sits. Uh, and that is with Brian Keith taking over for Wes Unsell Jr. as the head coach for now. Dave Johnson is talking to Brian momentarily. Uh, and we'll, you'll obviously hear that on the pregame show. But you'll hear from Dave at 6.15 as you do each and every Wizards game day. Right now, though, our one NFL turn of the day, Anthony, Uh, we got our NFL tiers, final edition of the season. Couldn't let the show go uh, without recapping how we did this year, uh, ranking our NFL teams. And um, this is something we've done now each year and uh, that we've had the show all all two football seasons and. Uh, we'll continue to do as long as we have it. Because I think this is the right way to go about it. I think the right way to try to rank teams is not power rankings. Power rankings are silly. They move too much. I want to be able to categorize teams realistically with who they are, who else is kind of close to them, and then where's the line. And I think we did a pretty good job overall this year. Uh, the Obviously, San Francisco and Baltimore were pretty easy to – keep in the uh the prime contenders category and then the Lions and the uh I feel like I wanted the Lions up more of the year and uh you you pulled them back down looks like they were for real and then the Chiefs we had them in prime contenders most of the year even when at times it looked like they didn't belong I think we on that front did pretty well
3: I mean, I think the reasoning behind us not, you know, really having the Lions all the way up there was fair. You know, we look at the Dolphins. It was true. They hadn't beaten anybody all season long. What what did they do? They didn't do anything in the first round. Well, they got knocked out the first round. Uh, You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, who actually didn't even end up making the playoffs because guess what? They hadn't beaten anybody for real for row. The defense was a little streaky. Um, But – I, I think the Lions just might be the you know the out the outlier here um in terms of going out and you know just not being able to beat the Ravens or, you know, any of the other good teams that they faced. Yeah, They're I made also made learn from it.
0: Yeah, I also wonder in hindsight though, did we underestimate some of the teams that they did beat, you know? Like they beat the Vikings twice early. Mm-hmm. The Vikings were a lot better than we thought. Um the Saints Okay, whatever. Um, you know, they split with the Bears. They they the Bears lost definitely threw people for a loop because it was early, but like the Bears actually wound up being a lot better than people realize. Um
3: Yeah, but their defense came on strong late.
0: It did, but like they still like some of the my point is like once once the season plays out, like, you know, they beat the Bucks, they beat the Packers. Mm. Like these are playoff teams. They yep. beat the Chiefs. Uh, to open the season Um, and sorry the Bears games were late like the Bears had already kind of turned it on at that point okay Um, so I mean real realistically like this was their season they beat the Chiefs in the season opener yep they lose to the Seahawks in a tight one they then beat the Falcons beat the Packers beat the Panthers Uh, they smash the Bucks then they get trounced by the Ravens and everyone's like oh no the Ravens killed them they're not for real They beat the Raiders. They beat the Chargers in a game that was probably a little closer than it should have been. Um, But then they beat the Bears, and then they lose two of three. They lose to the Packers, beat the Saints, lose to the Bears. And people are like, ah! And what do they do? They destroyed the Broncos. Yep. They beat the Vikings. They lose on the stupid two-point debacle by the refs to the Cowboys. Yeah. And then they beat the Vikings again. And then they've obviously won – two playoff
3: games yeah i guess the loss to the the packers isn't as bad it is a divisional game like it's those, a
0: divisional game they lost by seven
3: yeah so i get. i guess that's more so on us because we overlook the packs we overlook the right Bucks. right and and i think that's so though
0: sometimes that's what happens is yep. you don't realize until it's too late that a team that you thought wasn't that impressive of a win actually is and you know it's one thing if you know like The Commanders beating the Broncos in the beginning of the year is different than a team beating the Broncos in the middle of the year when the Broncos were, like, really playing well, right? It's not like all of a sudden it's like, oh, that was actually a great win for Washington in Week 2. No, the Broncos were, at that time, a team that was ready to give up 70 points to the Dolphins the next week. But, like, when some of the Packers stuff happens, you know, they lose to the Packers in Week like. 14 or so, oh, let's see, Packers 18, yep. 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, yeah, more like week 12, week 13, somewhere in there, I don't know where their bye week was, um, point is, like, the Packers at, at that point had started their comeback, like, the Packers were were on one at that point, and so, and the Bears were, like, really hot at that point, That's, they're saving yep. Flus' job, mm-hmm. and so, they lost two divisional games, one of which was pretty bad, that Bears loss was bad, it was 28-13, um, but I, I think that the Lions, like, they were 12-5 and five on the year. They were a 12-win football team. Yeah. Washington has done that since 1991. They were legitimately really good. Um, and, and I think, obviously, when you get down to this, and these are the four teams left, you feel pretty good about it. There is, you know, it, you, like, you're going to have some teams that you had in the prime contenders category, for instance. Like, we really goofed on Dallas. Whoops. But it's the playoffs. Like, eventually, there's four teams left, and... If you have four teams in the other in, in in more than four teams in your top category, you're gonna have some misses. But it is like the Lions are or the, the party crashers and everyone else, I think we kind of anticipated being here. Maybe, maybe Baltimore a little bit less so than the other two, but they are who we thought they were.
3: Yeah, I I think everybody's been beating the the uh, the ers drum the Chiefs. You know they got Mahomes, so we, we never really could write write him or them off. Um, but yeah, I mean Lamar. You know he's a finalist for the MVP this year. I called it. Um, you did. Do we have our preseason predictions? Yeah, I have them up.
0: We should go through those. What maybe Super Bowl week?
3: Here they go right here.
0: Who did I have as MVP?
3: Uh. Oh no, that's. The one. Oh boy. Anthony's yeah, lost, I gotta lost, find
0: it. I know yeah, it's, it's in here. It's though. just over here. Got a somewhere. lot of sticky notes. It's just that uh, I just I don't in a in the uh, What how you really got sticky notes? Yeah.
3: I got a lot of them.
0: You can't control F a sticky note.
3: No, I can't I can't find the MVP one But I know Lamar was my MVP. Guy.
0: Yeah, no, I, I,
3: I remember you saying that
0: Yeah, I don't know
3: Maybe what, somebody, what what's uh, on the
0: sticky notes that you did find?
3: So we got our predictions. We got AFC East, Bills, Jets. Wow. You had the Jets or I had the Jets? I had, no, you had the Jets. I had the Bills. Damn, that really died quick. Yeah. I had the Ravens. You had the Bengals in the AFC North. I had the Jags. Well, we both had the Jags. Whoops. AFC West, we had the Chiefs. Okay. NFC North, I had the Lions. You had the Vikings. Damn. Uh, NFC South I had the Falcons you had the Saints. Oh. Uh we both had the Niners coming out of the NFC West and we both had the Eagles repeating for repeating in the NFC East and that didn't aid well. We should have def- we should have known. Thanks.
0: Thanks for the the Wests. That's it wasn't for the West I wouldn't have gotten anything right. And I still might get the Super Bowl champion right.
3: Yeah, you still might.
0: <laughs> Which really all I care about. Yeah. Um anyway, all right. That's, that's the NFL tears. Uh, when we get back, uh, more on Wes Unseld Jr. Uh, being removed as the head coach of the Washington Wizards, including more of your calls, 301-230-0980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.